Well, hey, everyone. It's good to be with you, even though I cannot actually be with you and uh, excited to bring a message today. We're going to be going into part two of our series now on God Reveals, and we are in the season of Advent right now as December has kicked off. It's a season of waiting, and we, uh, in a figurative way, we wait with those who uh, long ago waited for the coming of the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. And what today we're going to be looking at, in fact, all through the month of December, is that even before Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came on the scene, God had appeared or or visited or uh, revealed himself to his people long before Jesus came in various ways. So we're going to look at today the time, the moment in time in which God revealed his proper name to his people and to one of his servants named Moses. And so before we get into that, I just want to show you, this is this is my full name, and I, I wonder if any of you watching this with me, if you can identify with me in that you have uh, perhaps an odd name, an uncommon name, or a name that is often mispronounced or hard to spell. Uh, unfortunately, that's the case with me. Um, I'm one of the few people on this planet who has the name Nicholas and actually spells it correctly. It's it's a great travesty that there's there's many Nicks out there that have their name mis- misspelled, and many of them don't even know that they're spelling it incorrectly. Uh, Every now and then I meet a Nicholas who spells it N-I-C-K. Of course, I go through this dilemma in which I don't know, should I pronounce it Nick? Should I say the C sound and the K sound? You know, sometimes the sound of a, a C can actually make an S sound, like in, I don't know, Cisco or Nice or something like that. So should I say Nisk or Niskalus? It's just very confusing. Uh, sometimes you see a N-I-C-H, which could be Nich or Nichelus. You know, that's, that can be very confusing. Uh, it's pretty obvious to me that this is the correct way to spell the name, but there's a lot of people out there that spell it incorrectly, of course. And so uh, sometimes people can email me or send me letters and, and they misspell my name. Uh, it's very common for that to happen. My middle name is, is spelled very uh, in a very uncommon way. It's it's Christopher, and it's it's intuitive in that the no ch is just a k, uh, no pa is just an f. Uh, but hard, I don't know of anybody, in fact, that that spells Christopher in this way, and so that's often mispronounced, mispronounced or uh, misspelled by other people. And then my last name Shots. I will admit that's a little hard to pronounce or to understand if you've never heard it before. Uh, back when I was in grade school, uh, my mom and I kind of had this thing where whenever I went up to bat, we would always kind of eagerly wait to hear how is the announcer going to mispronounce my name today? You know, up to bat is Nicholas Scats or Schatz or Scots or, you know, something like that. It was always mispronounced. But this is this is the spelling of my name. Uh, and you know what? It's important for us that people understand our name and how to pronounce it. There's there's something special about that when you when someone knows your name and they know how to pronounce it and spell it correctly. We all want to be known, and this is a piece of our identity that we want other people to know. I mean, when's the last time... When's the last time that you got an email or a note from someone and your name was misspelled on the title of that email? Just kind of made you cringe. It made you scrunch up your nose a little bit that they they misspelled your name in that way. Or uh, I wonder when's the last time you received a phone call from someone and when you when you answered uh, you could tell that they introduced themselves and they hesitated before saying your name, and then perhaps they they slightly mispronounced it or didn't have confidence when they said it. Of course, instantly you probably thought. You're trying to sell me something, right? You're trying to inappropriately use my name and our guards go up. We want to be known and we want this piece of our identity, our name to be known and pronounced and spelled correctly by other people. It's, it's important to, to all of us. Now, on the flip side, there are also times where we do not want people to know our name. We do not want our identity to be known right? I mean, uh, I'm sure all of us have been in those times where we've been on the phone and we have said the words, take me off your list. I do not want to be called by you. 
or you uh, unsubscribe from an email that they continually reached out to you for various things, or you walk by the salesman who's at Costco or at Hershey Park, and uh, you know it's the Comcast salesman or air conditioning saleswoman, and hey, buddy, what's your name? Yeah, I'm not going to give you my name because I know you want you want my name, you want my information so that you can use it in an inappropriate way. You want to misuse my name. You you want to abuse this information about me. And so God is the same way. God did not have to reveal his proper name to Moses or to anybody else in history. He did not have to do this. However, God wants to be known by his people. And God wanted to make sure that his name would not be misused or misunderstood. In fact, we're going to see in this story, we're going to open up to Exodus 3, if you want to go ahead and turn there. And in Exodus 3, we're going to see that Moses asks God a very easy question. He just says, what is your name? Who is speaking to me? And God, before he gives his proper name, which is Yahweh, we'll get to that in a minute, he seems to give all these disclaimers, and he takes his time before he actually gets to his actual name, his proper name, Yahweh. And so I'm going to argue that the reason for that is that God's name reveals a lot about who he is. His name Yahweh reveals that he is the I am. I'm also going to argue that God's name reveals something about who Moses is. Moses is the one who was sent by the I am. He is the sent one. In fact, four times in this text, we're going to see over and over that Moses is referred to as someone who was sent by the I am, the self-determining one. So let's pick up this story today, and let's go uh, straight to Exodus 3. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro. He was acting as a shepherd in the desert, and he led the flocks uh, to the far side of the wilderness. Now the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And so I'm not going to go into all the details of this and, 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 and unpack the background of this. In fact, earlier this year, Pastor Nick Mance uh, taught from this passage and gave a lot of that historical background, so I won't go into that for the sake of time. But let's look at uh, how God addresses Moses in this interaction between him and the burning bush. So he starts by giving him two commands. Let's take a look at this. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, Moses had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. You notice that God starts by giving him two commands. He says, don't come any closer and take off your shoes. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not the common way that people refer to me when I, when I walk up to their house. You know, I walk up to my brother's house or, or somebody's house and, and knock on the door. I don't think I've ever had them come out and say, hey, don't come any closer. And for heaven's sake, take your shoes off. You know, I've never had anybody address me like that. It's uncommon. Uh, however, God does reveal the reason for why he wants Moses to don't come any closer, take your shoes off. He says, the ground on which you are standing is holy ground. And this ground is holy not because this dirt is different from that dirt or that dirt. It's because this ground, this represents the presence of God right now. God is holy. And because God is holy, the ground on which Moses is standing is holy as well. Don't come closer. Take your shoes off because I am holy. Now, holiness, God's holiness, that's one of the most important attributes that we can know about God. That tells us uh, probably the most important things about who God is, that he is holy. Unfortunately, uh, my, my personal opinion is that many Christians misunderstand what the word holy means. So I want to give you a definition of what that means. I, I think most of the time when others speak of holiness, we, we assume that it means unblemished, like a, a, a diamond or something that doesn't have blemishes in it, or, or a painting that doesn't have any blotches or, or mistakes or uh, you know, scuff marks on it, that it's, it's holy. But that's, that's not the correct definition of holy, especially in this context. The word's used in different ways. It has different nuances throughout the Bible. But in this context, and when we speak of God being holy, this is what it means. 
Holiness means basically otherness. This is a good definition, I think, that I got from the Lexham uh, Bible Dictionary. It means otherness. The word holy literally means, it means distinct or other or, or different, uh, sanctified, uh, set apart and, and, and separate. It means, it means completely other. And so in other words, God is completely different. He, he is completely other from anything that we can compare him to, anything we can contrast him to. We, we can't adequately compare or contrast God with anything because he is completely distinct and different and other from anything that we can uh, ever imagine. If you were to ever say, you know what, I think God is kind of like fill in the blank, you're wrong. As soon as you say, you know, I, God kind of reminds me of fill in the blank, you are spouting uh, fake news, right? As soon as we try to compare him to something else or, or think of him in a certain way based on our understanding of another being, we, we, are, we are running off base because God cannot be compared to anything. He is, he is completely other. Is God like me? No. Is God like a ghost? Nope. We, there, there's no way we can adequately understand and fully fathom the transcendence of God because he is holy. He is completely other. And so he starts off by saying, I'm holy. This ground is holy. Take your shoes off. Don't come closer. And let's look at uh, so, so the next thing that comes up in this passage. So the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. He's referring to the Israelites, the nation of Israel. They have been enslaved in Egypt, and they are uh, serving Pharaoh and his nation. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land. There's a glare, so I have to (laughs) look over the glare. So now go, I am sending you. We're going to come back to this four times again. Moses is referred to as being sent by this God. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now, I would imagine that Moses allows this news, this, this instruction, this command to sink in for a little bit. After all, this God is not asking him to go in this kitchen and make him a sandwich. This is a pretty big, this is a pretty big ask. This is a major thing, a major command that he is asking of Moses. And so after letting this sink in, Moses asks, in my opinion, a very good follow-up question. And so Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them that the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what's his name? What should I tell them? In other words, who are you? There's a lot of gods out there. There's a lot of gods that I know of that, that even my forefathers have, have interacted with in different ways or, 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 or spoken to or, or, or interacted with in various ways. There are many gods out there. Which one are you? Who are you? What is your name? Fascinating question. And look at how God answers that question. God says to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So twice here, God's initial answer, he could have had a one-word answer and just told him his proper name, but instead he has this disclaimer where twice he says, I am who I am. Tell them that I am is the one who has sent you. Again, he hasn't revealed his proper name yet. Before we go on, I think it would be important for us to talk about how the ancient people, people in the ancient world thought about the gods. Now, a lot of the information I'm getting from is from various books by John Walton. Uh, Probably the most critical one for this is Ancient Near Eastern Thought and the Old Testament. Uh, This is not your typical, you know, holiday, sit by the fire and just peruse a book kind of reading, but it's it's very heady. But if you are interested to learn more about what I'm about to talk about, this is a book that I would recommend. So you can pick that up 
on Amazon or whatever. So how did ancient people think about the gods? So here, here's one thing I want to point out. There were many gods. In other words, everybody in the ancient world was a polytheist. They all believed, everyone believed that there were multiple gods out there. And if I were to somehow put you in a time machine and, and transport you to the ancient world, and you were to, you know, you could overcome the language barrier and you could speak to someone and say that you believe there's one God. There are no other gods. Every other God out there is just a figment of people's imagination. It's, you know, controlled by demons or, you know, whatever. They, the sun can be explained away by science and the stars and eclipses and things can be explained away and other things. These are not done by gods. There's only one God. They would laugh you to scorn. They would have, they would have no concept for, what are you talking about? Of course there are many gods out there. And th- this idea of spirituality and, and religiosity, that it, it permeated their entire life. They're, everything they did or thought was, was in some way related to the world of the gods. There were many gods. Secondly, the gods vary in their power, ability, and intelligence. In the same way that, that animals have various levels of intelligence and power, you know, there are some animals that, that are strong and some that are weak. There are some that are, that are intelligent. They can be trained in various ways, and there are others that, that they're, they're just not intelligent at all. And in the same way, there are people that are like this, right? That there are some people who are intelligent and others who are not intelligent and everything in between. There are humans who uh, have various levels of influence and power and, and, and money and sway. And there are, unfortunately, a lot of people in the world who have no voice. They don't have access to the same things that other people do. And there's, there's uh, you know, a lot of people that are in between those two extremes. In the same way, this is how the ancient people thought about the realm of the gods. The gods have various levels of intelligence and power, uh, authority, um, a, a, a ability, and gods could make mistakes. They could be surprised. They could be overpowered. They could be tricked. They could be seduced. They could be manipulated. They, the, gods, the gods could interact with people in the same way that, that we interact with other people. Okay, And I think this un- helps us understand why Moses is asking God for his name. Moses could be thinking, I know a lot of gods. I know you're the God of my forefathers. However, my forefathers have interacted with various gods at various times. So which one are you? What is your name? Now, there's a lot more that I could also say about the ancient world and ancient religion. Uh, Pick up that book if you want to learn more. There's one more thing I want to say. It's that gods were described in terms of action and not character. And by action, I mean that, uh, one thing I mean is that the gods typically had some distinctive quality about them or, or some particular realm in which they, something they ruled over, something that they were in control over, something they were identified with, something that they functioned within that realm. Okay, so for instance, Anu was the, sun, the, the, sorry, the sky god. Shamash was the sun god. Marduk, he was a, a god of a particular city, a, a patron god of the city of Babylon. Mars was the god of war. On and on we could go and list all the gods in, in a particular uh, realm of influence or power or uh, you know, action in which they were associated with. And I believe that God, what, what our God is doing here, is saying, I, I don't have an expertise. I am not to be lumped in with a particular function or a particular thing that happened. I, I, I am who I am. I am is the one who is sending you. Now, what scholars call this, about this trait about God, this attribute, is a self-determination that God is self-determining, okay? What they mean by that is that God is self-existent. He doesn't need or depend on anything or anyone for his existence and for who he is. It also means that God makes decisions without being moved by emotional appeals or by good arguments. He's not moved by any of these things. He makes decisions based on his will. It also means that God will act in whatever way he chooses without being coerced by any factors besides his divine will and purpose. He determines 
his own way. He, he determines his own will. He is self-determining. He is self-committed. Nobody can commit God or hold God or manipulate God or coerce God. Uh, they, they can't argue with God. Nobody can, can commit God to anything. God himself, com- God will commit himself to whoever or whatever he chooses because of his divine will. He is self, completely self-determining. He is who he is. And so he says, tell them that I am is the one who is sending you. And I think that God wants to make real sure that Moses doesn't go back to Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, the son God spoke to me, or the God of this or that spoke to me. No, 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 I, I am who I am, Moses. He wants to make sure Moses doesn't go over to Pharaoh and say, hey, Pharaoh, the God of our people needs something. No, I don't need anything. He wants to make real sure that Moses doesn't say, hey, hey, Pharaoh, the God of our people has a request. No, I don't have a request. I'm letting you know this is what's going down, clown. Okay, I I am who I am. I am as the one sending you. I am the self-determining one. I am the self-committed. I commit myself to whatever plan of action I want to. Now, back to what we're saying here, the gods were described in terms of action and not character. I want, I want to, here's what I mean by, by character. In the ancient world, from what we can tell, from what we can tell from history, uh, ancient people didn't describe the gods in terms of being good or bad, doing good things, doing bad things. Uh, again, they were like people. They were like animals. Animals aren't good or bad. Uh, people aren't all good or all bad. In a given day, I do some good things, I do some bad things. Some of the things that I do might be interpreted as good by one person and bad by another person. I'm, I'm not all good or all bad. In the same way, the gods were not described in terms of being good or bad. It was, this is what they do, right? This, that's, what, that's what that god did. Was it good or bad? I don't know. I think it's good or you think it's bad. I, I, nobody knows. It's just, that's what the gods did. They weren't defined in terms of character. Now, when it comes to our God, here's, here's what I want to bring up. Sometimes we refer to God as being good, and we have to be careful when we describe him in that way, because sometimes, oftentimes what we're doing is we're saying, this is what I think is good, and God is doing that or, or, or not abiding what, by what I think is good. Now, I'll tell you, this really hit me. Back when I was a teenager, I was a pretty new Christian, and I remember distinctly being in my dad's living room. Uh, with my dad talking, having this spiritual conversation. Uh, my dad, my dad's passed away. He passed away last year in 2019. Uh, however, he, he was an atheist. And so, you know, I was a new Christian. I was a teenager. And I remember distinctly, he, he brought up this, this issue of God being good or bad. And he said, you know, Nick, I just don't understand how Christians can view their God as being good. You, you look at, you look at the story of Job and God takes one of his most devoted people and, and whips him like a dog. I, how, how can you say that God is good? And he, you know, the flood or you know whatever else he can list other things and i had no idea how to answer that i'm just i'm a new christian i'm a teenager like 17 or something and that's a, that's a good point dad i don't know but i i believe that god is good that's the best answer that i could give at that time what we have to understand here is that god is the self-determining one he is who he is and by definition what he does is what is good because he is the one who determines what is good and what is bad not us we see this in the story of creation God creates these various things. He determines their function and their location and so forth, and he repeatedly refers to it as, it is good. It was good. It was good in the creation story. Now, the problem happens when these creatures from the dirt, these creatures from the mud come up, and they decide that they think this tree is what is good, even though God had determined it was not. And that's where the fall happens. That's where all this mess happens, because these creatures from the dirt decided they thought they knew what was good and what was bad. 
another way of speaking, God's character here is that he is good because he is the one who determines what is good and what is bad by definition, by what he does, because he is the self-determining one. I am who I am. I am is the one sending me to you. Now let's go to verse 15. This is where it gets real interesting. And this is where God finally reveals his proper, his actual name that is given to him or that he gave himself, I should, I should say. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, finally, he gives a real name, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob has sent me, here it is again, has sent me to you. All right. Now I want us to pay special attention to right here, the Lord. Uh, you'll notice here is in all caps. I didn't do that. that that's, that's in the text. That's in uh, whatever version you're reading. That's how it is written, right? The Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Now, out of reverence for the divine name, out of respect and honor of the divine name, Bible translators do not transliterate this into what it, the, the word actually is. In the Hebrew, it is Yahweh. Okay, let me show you a picture here. Instead, they always put it in all caps. So whenever you're uh, reading through the Bible and you see a Lord in, with lower caps, lowercase L-O-R-D, uh, or L if it's within the sentence, that's, that's the word Adonai, which is just a common name for, for Lord, right? The same way with God is usually the word he, the Hebrew word Elohim, which is just a, a generic name, a common name for, for uh, God. Of course, there's other names given to a mighty one or rock, etc. But this here, this, this word here, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital o, R, capital D, the, translated from that are these four Hebrew letters. Of course, this is in English. They're transliterated from Hebrew letters into English letters. Is uh, Y-H-W-H. Those are four Hebrew letters. They actually come from the root behind the root Hebrew word that is used in the verse earlier, which is I am who I am. And so basically, he is saying, my name is Yahweh. My name is Yahweh. It's a play on the words I am or to be. He is again, again reasserting that he is who he is. Okay? Now, Maybe some of you are confused as to why this matters. Why do we need to know the proper name for God in the first place? Or why, why is it important to know that we, you know, we didn't know it and now we do know it? And what, what's the significance of this? Let me, maybe this illustration will help you out. Here's a TV series that many of us are watching right now, The Mandalorian. And there are two characters. These are the two main characters, right? We have, his name is Mando. That's all we know about him. We don't know his full name, even though he's been in every single episode. He is uh, one of the main characters of this show. And all we know about him, as far as his name, is that he is Mando. His name is not Mando. It's just a play on the word for Mandalorian because he is a Mandalorian. Now, that tells us things about him and identifies him with this sect of people called the Mandalorians. There's this uh, code of honor they follow. There they're, uh, they're are these attributes they have where you know, they're, they're the fastest, the best fighters. And you know, there's, there's different things we know about Mandalorians. And so calling him Mando associates them with these people, right? This is the way, right? But we don't know his full name. And this is the child, the other main character in the story. Uh, spoiler alert, in the latest episode, we did find out his name. But up until this point, we didn't know either of these guys' names. And this is, we're in the, well into the second season of this, of this show. We still don't know uh, this guy's name. Uh, in, in the same way, here are some common names for God in the, in the same way that people might call me buddy. I have my kids call me dad. Some people call me pastor or hey man, hey sir, you know, whatever the case is. There's, there's a lot of sirs out there. There's a lot of dads out there. I'm just, that's a common name attributed to me. But Nicholas Christopher Schatz of Hershey, PA, that, that, that's me and, and only me. That is my proper name. In the same way, this is the proper name for God. His name is properly Yahweh. Again, a play on words that also reiterates that he is the I am. I am who 
I am. And so hopefully that's uh, helpful. So once again, as he gives his name, we see that God is being adamant that he is holy. Nothing can be compared to me or contrasted with me. I am completely other from anything you can imagine, any being that you could fathom. I am also self-determining. I cannot be moved or coerced or become dependent on anything. My will is my will because it's my will, not because anyone else manipulated me in any way. I am who I am. And I think there's another reason why Yahweh didn't just give us his name right away. Okay, I would argue that Yahweh wants to make sure that his name is not used improperly. In the ancient world, you would use a God's name so that you could summon them, so you could uh, have them at your beck and call, so that you could ask them for things and get what you wanted from the gods. This is your way that you got their attention. And I think God has these disclaimers before he gives his proper name. I think that he is slow to give it to us and that he, and that he is adamant that his name goes back to this, this uh, uh, reference to him, that he is the I am, because he wants to make real sure that his name is not uttered like a genie in a lamp. Yahweh wants to make sure that he is not summoned to get what we want from him. Yahweh wants to make sure that his name is not shouted as though he is at our beck and call. God is the self-determining one, and he commits himself to whatever or whoever he wants to. No one else commits him to anything. He is self-committing. He is self-determining. He is who he is. He is, or I am, is the one that is sending Moses. So why does Yahweh even give himself a name? Why does he provide a name? I think it's because he wants to be known, and I also believe it's because he wants to commit himself to these people. He wants to commit himself to Moses. If we fast forward past the times of Jesus and the gospel that you've been presented with at some point, it's because he wanted a relationship with you. Even though that was not necessary, he was not, it was not forced upon him, we didn't claim him. You, no one in the ancient world could just say, I, I claim, you know, they could claim other gods, but no one claims Yahweh. Yahweh claims his own people. He commits himself. He determines his own will and future. Now, I want to fast forward a little bit here, and I want to get to that moment, that, that iconic moment where Moses actually stands before Pharaoh. He leaves this scene with the burning bush. He gathers his stuff. He, he takes this track through, through the desert, out of the wilderness, back to Egypt. He gets to the Israeli slave camp. He meets with the elders and some other Israelites. He finally somehow books a meeting with the almighty Pharaoh, who was viewed as uh, actually a human representative of, or, or a god, the god, uh, and, and the leader of the Egyptians. He finally books a meeting with him, and he approaches the throne of Pharaoh. And he says, Pharaoh, this is what Yahweh, the god of the, of, of Israel, of the Israeli people, says. And I think it's an intriguing way that Pharaoh responds. These are the first words out of Pharaoh's mouth in Exodus 5, verse 2. Pharaoh says back to Moses, Who is the Lord? Remember, that's his name, Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? And why should I obey him? I do not know Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? I think that is the most intriguing question I have ever seen or heard in my life. Who is Yahweh? A lot of books have been written about that. A lot of people have debated about that. People have been talking since the beginning of creation about that particular question. Who is Yahweh? And that's the question that I want to leave you with today. I actually have two questions that I want to leave with you today. First is this, who is Yahweh? I would encourage you to leave this message and to spend some time in contemplation considering the misconceptions that you may have about Yahweh. I would encourage you to just consider how are the ways in which you address Yahweh. You probably call him Lord or God, and there's nothing wrong with that. You don't need to switch your prayer rhythm to addressing him as, as Yahweh, although that would be fine if you wanted to do that. 
but is it, it do you address him in a way that you were trying to summon him or get his attention or get something from him? Is it is that the kind of relationship you have with this Yahweh? What I would just encourage you to ask yourself, who is Yahweh? And how would you describe him? And I would you consider to spend some time thinking about his son Jesus Christ, who was also God who was sent from him. Jesus himself said, if you're looking for the Father, you want to know about the Father, just look at me. I am the exact representation of the Father, the first one uh, sent by him. So who is Yahweh? Here's the second question I want you to ask yourself. Who is Yahweh sending me to be? Again, four times in this story, we see that Moses is referred to as the one sent by him. Yahweh sends Moses. In some ways, you could say that God is the I am. He is the self-determining one. He's also the determining one for those who follow him, his people. He is the one who determines what they do in accordance with his will and for his purpose and for his mission. Moses was the sent one, and I am also one of his sent ones as well. So what does that mean? What, who is God sending me to be? What is God sending uh, me to do? A God who speaks requires a people who listen. So what is God sending you to do? Who is God, Yahweh, sending you to be? Now, before we leave, let me also just read uh, some of this model prayer that Jesus prayed. He, he told his disciples one day, when you pray, use these words, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Again, this means it's, his name is holy. It's, it's distinct. It's, it's to be revered. It's to be uh, reverenced. It's, it's a very special name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the part that I fulfill. Yahweh has sent me, he has sent you, he has sent us as his people to carry out his will on earth. And so what does that mean specifically for you? I want to remind you today that church is not over. When the screen goes black, you are the church. And church is an action verb. And so we are not dismissed today, we are sent. You are being sent to contemplate who Yahweh is you are also being sent to contemplate how Yahweh has sent you to carry out his will. You are not dismissed. You are sent. Thank you.